Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That is what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. Be it joy and laughter, sorrow and tears, awe and insight, or deepest devotion, as we visit and listen, we are all part of a spiritual voyage called Song of the Soul. I got introduced to today's Song of the Soul guest less than two months ago, and I am now firmly a fan. In December, I interviewed Chuck Brodsky about his song, On Christmas, I Got Nothing, which introduced me to Chuck's wry sense of humor mixed with cultural insight. Today, we get a full chance to explore the range of his songs, complete with tinges of Bob Dylan's tones mixed with heart-tendering stories, irony, and inspirational vision. And let's not neglect the imprint of the stories of baseball present on every album of the 13 albums Chuck has produced. Chuck is a storyteller and sharer, so we'll have several profound bonus excerpts on the NordenSpiritRadio.org website, along with the uncut version of the interview with nine and one-half extra minutes. Also, great thanks to Andrew Jansen for production assistance on today's show. Chuck Brodsky joins us today via Zoom from Asheville, North Carolina. Chuck, it's great to see you again for Song of the Soul. Great to see you too, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Where's your house? Where do you live? I live outside of Asheville, North Carolina. So it's in the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Maybe 12 minutes from town, but it's very rural. I'm on the side of a mountain surrounded by woods and no other houses. So it's pretty awesome. And wildlife? Oh, yeah. In fact, I've got security cameras around my property that pick up on a regular basis bears, deer, coyote, bobcats, wild turkeys, foxes, skunks, raccoons, all sorts of stuff. That's kind of what I look forward to waking up to every morning, seeing what my cameras might have captured overnight. Well, we have you here because of your music. Fortunately, you've got a lot of good friends. I think even though you live out in the country there, I think you tend to make a lot of friends on the deep heart level. Am I mistaken about that? I think not everybody does that, but I have a feeling that's where you go. I do. Nice of you to notice that. That's really what I'm in this for. Music has never been a career for me. It's always been a vocation. It's what I do. It's what is in my bones. So my reasons for doing it maybe are personal. They're not necessarily all about fame and fortune, but it's about the quality of life and the adventures and the people that I meet along the way. You know, I do live in a very isolated environment and I don't often leave the house. I could stay in the house for a week at a time and not go out and see anybody. But when I'm on the road or out doing shows anywhere, including here, I really like engaging with people and I like engaging with people on real levels. You know, sometimes you don't have the time to get beyond the superficial, but you know what it's always been about for me is hoping my music touches people as I go and also being receptive to being touched by people with their stories and the type of people that they might be. You know, it's been personally enriching to engage with other people. And that sort of became one of the highlights of doing this for me is the vast number of people that I do come in contact with and often year after year after year when I come back to their towns. And if we've spent time together, then of course they're old friends and coming to town to play the show becomes half 
about catching up with old friends. And so that's just been wonderful for me. Well, let's get started with the music that Chuck Brodsky has to share for Song of the Soul today. How do you want to kick it off? The Ballad of Eddie Clapp is about the first white man to ever play in the Negro Leagues. I actually was looking to write a song about Jackie Robinson becoming the first African-American to play in white baseball. And I went to a bookstore hoping there'd be a book about Jackie Robinson. And there were several. And the one that I picked up first started to thumb through it. And I landed on a page that had one paragraph about this fellow named Eddie Clapp being the first white man in the Negro Leagues. But that's really all it said about him. And this predated the ability to Google things. I didn't know where I was going to turn to for information. And my dad suggested I call the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. And I asked if anybody there might be able to tell me who Eddie Klepp was. They said, let me put you through to the research department. The person that answered was the head of the research department, a fellow named Tim Wiles. And when I mentioned this to him, it immediately lit something up in him. It turns out he was a big lover of acoustic singer-songwriter music. And when I asked him if he had ever heard of Eddie Klepp, he said, no, who was he? I told him, first white man in the Negro Leagues. And his response to that was, wow, that sounds like it would make a really cool poem or song. And that's when I said, funny, you should say that because I'm a songwriter. And that's what I was hoping I could do is get some background information on him and, and write a song. And he became an incredible ally in the early years of my baseball songwriting. And starting with that, he called me back an hour later. He said, you're in luck. I found a couple articles. I'll Xerox them for you. He mailed them to me. And from that point on, anytime I was hoping to write a song about another baseball character, I'd get in touch with him. And sometimes he would send me a manila envelope, an inch and a half, two inches thick with all sorts of Xerox <laughs> articles. And, you know, a wealth of information. So he was directly involved in helping me for probably my first eight or nine baseball songs. But that was really the genesis of my baseball songwriting. That was my first historical baseball song. I had written one years earlier about somewhat historical, but also I added some fictional details. But The Ballad of Eddie Klepp was the first one that I researched and tried to be meticulous about in terms of sticking to facts and not injecting my own commentary or making things up to fill in. And so, yeah, the Ballad of Eddie Clapp. And again, we're listening to Chuck Brodsky. His website is chuckbrodsky.com. Brodsky is B-R-O-D-S-K-Y. Chuckbrodsky.com, links on org. And this is The Ballad of Eddie Clapp. Well, the war had finally ended America had changed It had beaten back the Nazis But the Jim Crow laws remained And there was talk of staging marches And talk of civil rights And there was talk about A Negro playing baseball with the whites They walked into the clubhouse And the card players quit playing And everybody stopped in the middle of whatever they were saying And it was just like when the sheriff Walks into the saloon And he says, my name is Eddie As he looks around the room Man's here to play baseball 
manager said to the team We're all gonna have to live with this Oh, that's not what I mean You know what I mean And they all did Went without saying And the card players looked at their hands And they went on with their plan Well, they ran him off the field before a game in Birmingham one night. They made him sit up in the grandstands in the section marked for whites. In his Cleveland Buckeyes uniform, there was a new twist on the law. The marshals kept their eyes on him and the hecklers ate him raw. Eddie Clapp, he should have run the bases in reverse A white man in the Negro Leagues, well that had to be a first He could not ride the same buses, stay in the same motels And he could not eat in the same restaurants He couldn't have mixed clientele So while Jackie played for Brooklyn and wore the Dodger blue Eddie crossed the color line The one without a kill A white man in the Negro Leagues Might as well have been a Jew And now you mention the name of Eddie Clapp And most everyone says who Chuck Brodsky's here today for Song of the Soul, and that song, The Ballad of Eddie Klepp, is a real story. Nothing made up in there, as Chuck just told us. And, you know, I had never thought of it going the other way. We all know about Jackie and Hank Aaron, others who were blazing a path past the racial discrimination, the prejudice of the day. But I hadn't thought It actually takes some courage to go the other direction, too. Did he actually get any abuse? Did he get his tires slashed? I mean, what are you doing hanging with those darkies? That kind of thing, I'm sure, happened to far too many people. I'm not aware of anything in that regard. I have read that he didn't do this for novelty reasons. He did it because he wasn't quite good enough to pitch in the major leagues, but this was the next highest level of baseball, and he was a good pitcher, and he wanted to play at the highest level that he could. Somebody not long after I wrote that song and and released it contacted me, a woman named Dr. Alice Walker from Pittsburgh, and I don't believe she's still alive anymore, but she was somewhat of a baseball researcher, and she knew Eddie Klepp's widow, Ethel Klepp, who was still alive at the time, and she contacted Ethel to see if she'd be willing to have a phone conversation with me. She agreed, so I actually spoke to Ethel Klepp once, and she told me a bit about Eddie. Apparently, it was not a very good person. He had a long criminal record, spent lots of time in jail for things like arson, burglary, and he would come and go. Even though they stayed married, he would disappear for long, long periods of time, and 
She just said he wasn't a nice man. You know, that's neither here nor there in terms of the story of the song. But it was, you know, interesting to get the chance to speak with her in the first place and then have her tell me these things. But again, it was not so much a novelty as it was. Here was a good pitcher. He couldn't quite make the major leagues, but he was useful as a pitcher to this team, the Cleveland Buckeyes. And I believe there was one or there might have even been two other white men that same year who played in the Negro Leagues. You know, I live in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. You're down there in North Carolina currently. Does Eau Claire and baseball mean anything to you? I don't know what the connection would be, what the story would be, so you can tell me. Let me not rake you over the coals. And the first step before going to major leagues and all that for Hank Aaron was to play with the little farm team that was here in Eau Claire. So back before it was common for African-Americans to be in leagues here in Eau Claire, he was welcomed and a little bit of a local hero historically for us. So there's a song in that, I'm sure. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, I have a song about Jackie Robinson's first game with Farm Club of the Brooklyn Dodgers, based in Montreal. And the first game he played with an organized white baseball was against the Jersey Giants, maybe? I can't remember now. In Jersey City. And he hit a home run. There were two men on base when he hit that home run. And when they crossed home plate, they didn't stop and wait for him. They continued running straight to the dugout. And the on-deck batter, George Shuba, who later played with Jackie with Brooklyn, He stepped up to the plate and waited for Jackie with a smile on his face. And as Jackie approached, he stuck out his hand. And when Jackie's foot stepped on home plate, they had a handshake, which was the first time in modern baseball history that a white hand and a black hand touched like that on a baseball diamond. And a photographer captured that moment. It's an amazing photo that can be Googled. And it inspired me to write a song called The Handshake, which is one of my favorite baseball songs I've written. A similar situation. Well, knowing of your passion for baseball and knowing how I looked through some albums and yeah, here's a baseball song, here's a baseball song, in addition to the two baseball ballads albums you have, I was working on the theory that every album would have a baseball song in it. But you tell me that was your first baseball song and it was on your second album, Letters in the Dirt. It was my first historically accurate baseball song. I had written one before that called Lefty on my first album. But I took liberties with that one. It's loosely based on Steve Carlton, but I did take liberties. And then I decided in the writing of The Ballad of Eddie Clapp, from that point on, I wouldn't take any liberties. I was going to try to be as historically accurate as possible moving forward. Well, congratulations on that. What a gift you're giving us. Give us another gift through another song. Another theme for me in my songwriting that I've latched onto and written quite a lot of songs about is the Holocaust. In particular, songs that might portray how things like art or music allowed people to retain their sense of humanity, their dignity in the midst of the horrors. So there was still beauty within the horrors, and there was still learning, teaching. This is what people did and what they had to do to keep their souls alive. So Warsaw in May is about a man who had been the conductor of the Warsaw Symphony Orchestra, and he had been rounded up with his family and sent to, I believe, Auschwitz. When they arrived on the cattle car, the guards saw that he was carrying a violin, and they immediately told him to play literally as he stepped off the train. And this 
in fact, was an audition for his life. They had him play Wagner, which was a favorite of Hitler. Had he not faithfully played the music, and had he not been as accomplished a player as he was, he would have been sent to the gas chambers. But because he was so talented, they made use of him. They put him in a camp orchestra. And he also was on call to play for the officers in the evenings at the officers club with their wives, etc. So that's the gist of the song. Folks, get your hearts ready for both sadness and some of the beauty that transcends even our worst moments through Chuck Brodsky's song, Warsaw in May. Back in 
Berlin Sometimes I slip smaller Chuck Brodsky released that song, Warsaw in May, back in 2018 on his album, Them and Us. And I'm just wondering, Chuck, if the whole rise of the culture related to Donald Trump and preceding him, and I'm sure it'll follow him, issues about white supremacists, them and us specifically being about that, if that was what was percolating in your heart at that time? It was, but I wouldn't say that that manifested itself through this particular song. There's another song on the same album called Couldn't Do What Daddy Done, and that's precisely about white supremacists. It's about breaking the chain, though. It's about how this particular white supremacist was taught this by his own father and was in the process of teaching this same kind of hatred to his own son and stopped himself. It's one of my favorite songs I've ever written. And again, it's called Couldn't Do What Daddy Done. And it's on the Vevenus album, but it's about exactly what you're asking about. And folks, we do have the link to Chuck Brodsky on our website. Brodsky, again, is B-R-O-D-S-K-Y. ChuckBrodsky.com, links on NordenSpiritRadio.org, along with links to all of our guests for the last 18 and a half years we've been doing this both our Spirit in Action show and our Song of the Soul show. And talking to you about these things, Chuck, is just so much how, for me, music, the creativity, the art that people create is related to the best things in life and in healing the world. And I think you do that through your music. But do come to NordenSpiritRadio.org, comment on this show and on the other shows that I've done. Let us know you're out there. Give us suggestions where to go. Let us understand each other, because I really want our communication to be two-way. You can donate, uh, just as Chuck was supported through pandemic by the support of listeners out there. There are so many people who have been supporting Northern Spirit Radio, and we're still in our fundraising mode for this year to hope that we can get through it. So please donate via NordenSpiritRadio.org when you get the chance. 
But let's head right back to Chuck Brodsky. There's at least a few more songs that we want to get in. Remember, he has 13, I think, albums out there. And he has some other things that you might want to get. There's a deal if you want to get a lot of different baseball songs. He makes that special. Have you ever written a hockey song? I mean, it feels like if that's your first passion, then why the hell did you move to Asheville area? (laughs) Well, I moved to Asheville for a lot of reasons. At the time, I had been living in the San Francisco Bay Area for 15 years. When I moved to Asheville, I accepted the probability that I was giving up hockey or the ability to watch it. There was no national TV contract at the time. But within like a year of moving here, suddenly the Hartford Whalers moved to Raleigh and North Carolina had a National Hockey League team. And I'm in their television area, so what I thought was gone for good, suddenly I had a team. I have written a hockey song. I wrote it years ago. It's on either my third or fourth album, but it's a bit dated. It was a bit of an ironic song about hockey fights, but I used names that people today might not recognize, so I don't sing it very often. And the reason I haven't written more hockey songs is because... I'm not touring to places where hockey is all that big very often. I'll occasionally go to New England, but not often. I'll occasionally play folk festivals in Canada or even a tour once in a while. But most of my touring is in the Southeast or Texas or California, Washington State, places where hockey songs probably wouldn't be something that people would be particularly interested in hearing. That doesn't mean I won't get around to writing some because I think hockey has a similar wonderful folklore that baseball also shares. That's really what got me into writing baseball songs, not so much statistics or love of a particular team. It's more that there's such great stories. There were so many great characters, and that's very true of hockey. You know, because I've actually read a lot more about hockey than I have about baseball. And I have more fun talking about hockey than I do about baseball. But I don't have the audience to share that love with in the same way that I do with baseball, because baseball is just so universal. Well, it just so happens I have two granddaughters who are 12 and I guess nine years old who are major hockey players. I played until I was in my mid 40s after I moved to Asheville, but the rink which was about an hour from here, hour and 15 minutes from here, ultimately shut down and there was no place to play anymore. So that's it. I still have my gear. I was goalkeeper. I played my whole life. I started playing hockey when I was seven. I was the only person into hockey my age at the time because the NHL had just expanded to Philadelphia. It took three or four or five years before there were even other kids that I could play street hockey with. But I got into organizing roller hockey games. I took out a lease on a roller rink for two years when I was 14 and 15, or for three years, 14, 15, and 16. I'd make sure there were enough people every week to come play. I was feeding my habit. And, uh, you know, I grew up across the street from a school with parking lots and tennis courts that I could skate on regularly. So I was really the only kid in the neighborhood that was playing hockey at the time. There was no organized league, but I was out there, you know, stick handling and having fun on my own and shooting at my own net until there were enough people to pull together to play. But then as an adult, I got back into it and started playing ice hockey when I was in California, probably in my mid-20s and played for another 20-some years. Wow, that's incredible. That's wonderful to hear. Do you still play baseball? 
No, I haven't played baseball in a long time. And the thing about baseball is you really can't play baseball without a certain number of people. Whereas hockey, you can go out there with a stick and a puck or a street hockey ball and you can have fun. You know, you can shoot at a net all by yourself. You can stick handle all by yourself. If you have a second person, that much better. If you have a third person to stand there as a goalie, that much better. But you're not required to have 18 people or close to it to have fun. Sure, you can hit fungos, you can hit ground balls to somebody, but, you know, that never was as much fun to me as going and picking up my hockey stick and putting my skates on and roller skating around on the tennis courts across the street or whatever, you know. Hockey was always my real passion. Well, just so you know, my granddaughter, Billy, she's goal also. Awesome. So she's going to particularly identify with you. But right now, our listeners are going to identify with you because you're going to share another song. This song is called If This Is It. It's what I wrote just after the start of the pandemic. I was, like everybody else, forced to take stock. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, most people were saying the pandemic was going to last for a year, keep things shut down for a year. And I knew intuitively that it was going to be two years for concerts. And so all those panic type thoughts about, will I have a career after this? And all sorts of other thoughts like, will I ever see my parents again? Very real and frightening things that I was forced to take a look at and make sense of. You know, my parents live 650 miles from me and Nobody was allowed to travel at the time, and they're elderly. So I had to look at things as, what if this is it? What if everything I know is gone? No career, no parents, no family. What if I die? What if my best friends die? So that's the perspective on this song. And also the possibility that this could be the last song I ever write. What if this is it? And it's from Chuck Brodsky's latest album, Gravity Wings and Heavy Things. You'll find the link to chuckbrodsky.com on nortonspiritradio.org. But as for the songs, if this is it. I hope somewhere 
seed will sprout That I might have dropped And never knew This is it takes me back to that early part of the pandemic when we couldn't see our grandchildren. We have seven grandchildren. They had always had hugs from their grandma and grandpas and such, and we weren't supposed to touch them. And that was it. My wife set up something interesting in our garage. They came and visited. We had a cookout, so we're outdoors. But it was a plastic sheet with arm holes so we could reach around and hug each other safely. That was kind of a cool thing about the pandemic is that it forced us all to become resourceful in all sorts of different ways for all sorts of different purposes. But, you know, we figured out how to deal. And one of the other gifts I got out of the pandemic is Zoom. And I'm seeing you face-to-face, and I've been interviewing. I was using Skype beforehand, but I just feel like I got so much closer to so many people at this time. So, again, a silver lining, or maybe it was a gold lining. We, we can disagree about that. That's fine. Be platinum. Well, as long as it's not plutonium. And that really, if this is it so much evokes the bitterness and sometimes we don't appreciate it until it's dangling out there at the end of a string, maybe going out of sight. You capture that so well, Chuck. Let's do another song. 
Well, this next one probably is my single most favorite song I've ever written. It's called How I Changed His Mind. And it's very much about the times that we're in, how divided we are over politics, and how we never give up trying to persuade people to see things our way, you know, get them to change the way they think, the way they vote. And all we do is bump heads. We're never going to persuade anybody to change their minds. And so I thought I'd come at it with a little bit of humor, a little bit of irony. I just had so much fun writing this song. I started writing it in Ireland, and I got very much influenced by the use of language in Ireland. If you're a wordsmith, if you appreciate colorful language, if you appreciate the subtleties of language, Ireland is the place for you. I can't help but be affected by it when I'm there. I often start songs. And I think just the type of language I'm using, the way I'm constructing sentences and, and thoughts, I think is very Irish in this song. I don't have a drop of Irish blood in me other than by osmosis. I haven't been there so many times. But I'm a deep, deep, deep appreciator of their use of language. The song is How I Changed His Mind. Get ready for some cynicism, sarcasm, irony. I'm not sure what it is. No cynicism. I'm not a cynicist in any way, and I don't believe that any of my songs contain cynicism. I may use irony. I may poke fun at things, but everything I do is geared towards the potential positive outcome from something. Well... That's what's coming up in How I Changed His Mind. It's from Gravity Wings and Heavy Things by Chuck Brodsky. After three or four tries, I poked out his eyes. That's how I got him to see. To get him to hear, I screamed in his ear. I gave him the third degree. I sharply berated him I told him I hated him I wasn't very kind I shouted and cussed Until I won his trust That's how I changed his mind I shunned him, ignored him I wouldn't look toward him I only would give him my back I accused him of lies I would not compromise I erased him after the fact I was abrupt, I would often interrupt We were volatile when combined And in spitting my case, I blew up in his face well, That's how I changed his mind That's how I changed his mind That's how I changed his mind I blamed him, shamed him, insulted and inflamed him That's how I changed his mind This man was an ass I was gonna let him pass Let him take a wide berth of me But I was right and he was wrong Like I was telling him all along Trying to just get him to see But he's a this and I'm a that So we couldn't have a chat Of the friendly and civilized kind Round after round I just ground him down well, That's how I changed his mind mind that's how I changed his mind blamed him shamed him insulted and inflamed him that's how I changed his mind 
toes and I punched him in the nose I was using irony So sure of the truth I knocked out his tooth And I kicked him twice in the knee I won over his heart When the poison is dark And you should have seen me unwind Being overly cruel With ridicule That's how I changed his mind That's how I changed his mind That's how I changed his mind Blamed him, shamed him Insulted and inflamed him That's how I changed his mind him to a door I threw my white glove in his face Twenty paces and I shot and I must hit the spot Anyway, that's how I pleaded my case Well, I won in the end After making him bend And after all the papers were signed In the end, I won Yeah, that's how it was done Well, that's how I changed his mind That's how I changed his mind That's how I changed his mind Blamed him, shamed him Insulted and inflamed him That's how I changed his mind That's how I changed his mind That's how I changed his mind Blamed him, shamed him I might have even named him That's how I changed his mind That's how I changed That's how I changed his mind That's how I changed his mind I find it interesting that Chuck Brodsky's song How I Changed His Mind was engendered by the many times that he's taken tours of people to Ireland and Scotland that somewhere in their language engendered this song. When I asked you earlier, Chuck, by the way, about cynicism, I'm six years older than you are, but I think that those who are 20 years younger than me grew up in an era where cynicism became more the norm. It's very sad because I think it disheartened many people's approach to life, their hope for making things happen in the world. So I'm glad that you don't do cynicism through your music. We have to make choices about what we want to put out there. And not just as songwriters or artists or whatever, but all of us do. What kind of person do we want to be? What kind of energy do we want to put out? I want to be a positive influence, if I can, on anybody that hears what I do. I feel very sad as well for the people that you accurately describe. And they grew up in a time where heart stuff became, I won't say trivial, but the pursuit of money and the pursuit of things that don't have a whole lot of meaning to people from our generation became so prevalent at the expense of human values. And so I don't do this for any other reasons than love and enjoyment and hoping to give something positive to other people through my music and through my writing. And so I'm very careful about how I choose my words and the subjects that I will write about. I'm into irony. Irony is beautiful. Irony is delicious. And it often appears to be sarcasm, but it's not. Sarcasm is just hurtful. 
sarcasm is angry. But mainly what I want to do is get in one more song before we run out of time, because we're really here, folks, to hear the music of Chuck Brodsky and so much good coming through his music. Again, he's got 13 albums. And you've been hearing a few songs, mainly from Gravity Wings and Heavy Things, his latest one put out in 2022. But you heard a song from 2018, and there's more going back. There's so much riches. If you go to chuckbrodsky.com, any trouble in spelling, come via nordenspiritradio.org. I also want to make sure people do understand about your tours when you go to Scotland and Ireland, because as you said, even though you've only got Irish in you by osmosis, isn't it a wonderful place for people and for music in particular? It's incredible. I'm actually about to make my 40th trip to Ireland this summer. I started off playing shows going over. The first 17 trips were to play gigs. And then I fell into something that was started by a fellow Wisconsin singer-songwriter named John Smith, who you may be familiar with. Sure. I've interviewed John a couple times. Great man and a dear old friend of mine. And John started leading his fans to Ireland 15 or more years ago. And once he realized that it was working, he reached out to a couple more of us, myself being one of them, to offer us a chance to lead the same tours with our fans. And now this summer will be my 25th tour like that. And they're phenomenal. They're 10 days. We visit three different places and spend three nights in each of those places. We do day trips with our own bus and a full-time guide that travels the entire tour with us. So we see some sights during the day, and then every night we have incredible music. Serious major league artists from Ireland, if people are familiar with uh, the who's who in the Irish music world, we have people from bands like Danu and Dervish and Lunasa, really top-notch artists playing private concerts for us in our hotels. Other nights we go to pubs for great traditional music. And then once or twice on every tour, I will give a private concert to the group. And it's a group limited to 22, 23 people. It's small. We become close. And I just love them. Everyone who has ever been on these tours loves love them. And so then I started doing Scotland tours through another friend's company. We just started doing them two years ago, and we're building them. Maybe not quite as big as the company that John Smith was able to build. We don't know that we're going to do quite as many tours, but we have a couple different itineraries now, and it's the exact same format. The full-time guide traveling with us, and three nights in three different places, and very, very high-level music in the evenings. So if people are interested in learning more, they can go to chuckbrodsky.com and, and read about these tours. The Ireland tours that I'm doing this summer are all sold out, but I do have a few rooms for this April to Scotland for anybody would like to join me. Please do check it out. My time in Ireland, I had about three weeks there in 2004. One of the highlights of it for me was in Galway. I was doing an international folk dance Quaker tour there, and we had that night off. And so we went to a, a pub downtown, and fortunately, they had kind of a song. Or they had some jamming and that. And everyone who could jump up and sing and such, it was so beautiful, wonderful. We've lost so much of that in the U.S., and I'm so glad that there's still that deep vein of shared music. It's beautiful. I've been privy to some really cool circles like that where people in their upper 80s 
would get up and sing a song. And then a 12-year-old next to them would jump up and do something. And what's really cool in Ireland is that everybody, everybody across society, for the most part, has what is known as a party piece, something that they have polished. Even if it's only one thing, even if it's only one poem that they've memorized or one song that they can sing, but it's a way for everybody to participate in something like this. And they do. And it's, it's incredible. When we were there, different people are standing up sharing ballads, this and that and the other thing. And one of the members of our folk dance group who was there said, hey, come on, Mark, why don't we get up and we can sing River by Bill Staines because we all knew that one in our head and we could do that. So it was our way of bringing a ballad from the U.S. over there. Really well received, of course. Well, let's do one last song from Chuck Brodsky for today's Song of the Soul. How do we conclude it? The song called It Takes Two Wings, which is what the title of my most recent album is based on. The album's called Gravity Wings and Heavy Things. This song is about how we can't function as a society being as politically split as we are. And this zero-sum game, winner-takes-all idea. If there's a winner, there's a loser. And if the party that wins the election is going to get everything they want, that's going to mean that half the country is going to be very unhappy. So the concept behind this song is that something can't fly without two wings. It needs both wings working together. And I'm absolutely convinced of that. And I actually agree with you. But I do need to bring you one piece of news that perhaps you had never considered. Do you know the Ouija Ouija bird? No. One wing. <laughs> That's why none of us have ever heard of it. Because <laughs> it probably didn't fly very far. <laughs> I think you're right about that. People might want to look that up. I was curious if it was possible because, you know, I figured nature has such a fertile mind and does things in such creative ways. But. It does take two wings, and fortunately, we've got people like Chuck Brodsky who are working to bring both wings together to work for the greater good. I'm so thankful that you do that. I'm thankful you do it with a deep heart, with passion for hockey and baseball and people, and I thank you so much for joining me here today for Song of the Soul. It's been a real pleasure, Mark, and I appreciate you having me. Thank you. And again, the song is It Takes Two Wings from Chuck's latest album, Gravity Wings and Heavy Things. The link's on NorganSpiritRadio.org. We'll see you next week for Song of the Soul. It Takes Two Wings. Just a simple song About a couple of wings About gravity And its effect on things With just one wing Go flapping around But you'd never be able To get off of the ground Takes two wings Maybe a prayer If you do take off Just to stay in the air Will you start from here Or you start from there Takes two wings Anywhere 
straight It'll just stay stuck In a figure eight Points of view We can debate But it takes two wings Till I won't fly straight With two wings You can look down At the angry mob Terrorize in the town And you might see things Like you never could With two wings Might even see some good Music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it is called Song of the Soul. Check out all things Song of the Soul on northernspiritradio.org, guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Send your Songs of the Soul to me, Mark Helps Meet, via the info on our website, and join us weekly for Song of the Soul.